Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey friends, thank you for joining me today. This week I am talking with Richard Casper of Creative Vets in Nashville, Tennessee. Richard is a military veteran that suffered a brain injury in the war and has since found healing through music. He co-founded the nonprofit Creative Vets to help other veterans write songs with hit songwriters that help them communicate their thoughts and feelings to start the healing process. Richard also co-founded the songwriting app We Should Write Sometime that allows writers from all over the country to connect with other songwriters. We are discussing learning to write music to cope with trauma, starting multiple music-related companies, changing the way music is accessible, and how your anxieties and depression have to be outweighed by your excitement when writing. Please enjoy my conversation with Richard Casper. Hey everyone, I am talking with Richard Casper of Creative Vets here in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing great. It's a great morning. Right. I'm good with it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for letting me come over down to Na- downtown Nashville. I don't get to come downtown very often any longer. Um, it's so crazy busy and just nonstop stuff happening down here that I try to avoid it like the plague, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> but when I do get down here, I'm like, man, I wish I was down here more often because it's such a cool place. But, and you're kind of like right in the heart, creative vets, the organization that you guys run is sort of right down here in the heart of, of downtown Nashville, which is really cool. Yeah. Right off 12th Avenue, because we knew we needed to be close to all the people who were coming into town. We're hoping that they, they get some visuals because before 2020, which is weird, we didn't have a building or space. Of course, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, we're like, let's open up a space. Yeah. Um, but it's just given us so much more visibility to, to everyone that's coming here. That's awesome. And you guys are just like literally, what, one or two streets over from Music Row? Yeah, that was you know? another important part. Yeah, we're, we're right on Edge Hill and 12th Avenue for anybody that's been here. Yeah, if you turn right on Edge Hill, just drive right down. There's big, loud smack music. Music Row is two streets back. Yeah, um, and that's that's so cool. I love it. So you and I got connected because of uh, another guy named Adam Taylor, who is the president of APM Music. Mm -hmm. And Adam was recently on the podcast as well and had a great conversation with him. And we got finished and I said, hey, you know, do you can you recommend anyone that you guys that you know to be on the show that you think he's like, well, actually, there's this guy named Richard Casper who's in Nashville and I know him and he does this thing called Creative Vets and you should check it out. And so... What's amazing about that is that the day that we interviewed for the podcast and he told me about you, I sent an email to you. And then that evening, I happened to be watching the CMA Awards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're like, 
creative vets, Richard Casper and his whole piece that they did on you guys and what you do. And then all of a sudden here you come walking out on stage at the CMA Awards, the same night of the conversation that I just had about, hey, you should connect to this guy and emailing you. And bam, there you were on TV. And I was like, wow, what a wild, crazy coincidence. But that was such a cool thing. That was an you know? amazing moment. Yeah, I guess sit up there with uh, uh, um, Lainey Wilson yeah. and just like the world. And then she went on to win multiple awards. And yeah. I just, that was a great night. That was, I mean, we've gotten a lot of press lately, but that was probably one that, I've had I had a hundred text messages come in, and I had so many emails. And Creative Ed's got a bunch of donations right off the bat. I think six thousand came in within fifteen minutes. Yeah, and uh, so many other things have come from that. But that yeah, that was just so so crazy. Yeah, and so they actually like wrote a check for you guys for like fifty thousand dollars that they presented to you on stage, right? From... Yeah, well, it was it wasn't actually in there. They said that it was in the bag. They said there's a check in that little oh, okay. Crown Royal bag. Okay, because it was sponsored by Crown Royal. Right. And they put up on the screen a QR code that if you scanned, um, why, and it only flashed on screen for like 20 seconds, but if you scanned it, then every every individual over 21 that scanned that, we'd get another dollar for it. Oh, see. So we still haven't found out what that was. I emailed them yesterday. They said they're still trying to get with their department to calculate what that was. Could be a million dollars, could be a thousand dollars. But that's amazing because, yeah, I mean, we didn't know. I figured there was a donation coming, but I had no idea it was going to be $50,000 towards the organization. So, I yeah. mean, all in all, it was it was a great night. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations on I that. I appreciate and it. So, b- before we get into what Creative Vets does, first of all, you're a veteran. Yep. And thank you for your service and what all it. you guys do. My dad was a veteran. And um, so I'm very grateful for that and for what you guys do to protect our country and our, our way of life and all that stuff. So thank you, first thank and foremost. Thank you. Um, so let's back up a little bit and tell us who you are, where you're from, and what got you into working in music. Because it's not the typical storyline yeah. that most people give me when they're on this show. <laughs> yeah. I'm from a very small town in Illinois. Well, I was born in Peoria. Oh, really? Yeah, Peoria, okay. Illinois. But... My town was about 45 minutes from there. It's a farm town. It's uh, 1,100 people in the town. Uh, I had 22 kids in my graduating class, and we had multiple towns going to our school. We were called <laughs> Low Point Washburn because we had the town of Low Point, the town of Washburn, uh, La Rose. There's like a bunch of little towns, and we can only fit 22 kids in my class. So oh, wow. I grew up, obviously, in the cornfields, and so loved country music. Absolutely loved it. Uh, but I was never really interested in getting into music or learning how to play an instrument ultimately uh throughout high school I, I played a few sports just worked some random jobs and then i think that was the first time I, I my friend played guitar a little bit and i was like well this could be cool to impress the ladies and uh maybe i'll learn it and i tried he tried to show me some stuff i was like eh, i'm not gonna do this um and so when i was a junior that's when 9-11 happened uh and i already knew at that point i was going to go to the military i've been talking about it since the seventh grade or eighth grade and it was it's funny my recruitment video the one that made me for some reason want to join the marines um was full metal jacket <laughs> oh, wow. which doesn't seem like a recruitment video right <laughs> right yeah. um but i think what i saw in that was like obviously after the boot camp scene like the band of brothers and just yeah. like what how they came together and yeah. how they served and what they were fighting for for them was really each other, not the war. It was like fighting for each other. And um, so I figured military, but I still wasn't 100% sure on the Marine Corps. I just thought it might be cool to be a Marine. But it was when 9-11 happened that I was like, okay, 100% go in Marine Corps, and I'm going to go infantry and try to be the first one overseas uh, just because I felt attacked myself, and I had this sense of service, and I just wanted to go overseas. 
And so 2003, I graduated high school and I went straight to boot camp two weeks later. So I, my, my senior summer was two weeks long wow. and then, uh, straight to San Diego for boot camp. Uh, and that's where I was for, uh, probably two to three weeks when, and this is, this is so like my life is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks into it, they come out and they have me on this list in boot camp. So I already think here's my trajectory. Marine Corps infantry go straight to war. And when they put me on this list called special testers, I was like, crap, what is this? This is so random. They wouldn't tell us what it was. And this started with about 400 Marines. Uh, and then it kept dwindling down throughout the process. Boot camp of the Marine Corps is three months long. Then after that first two weeks, there's 400 veterans. And then by the next month, there's probably like a hundred of us. And then by the probably, it's probably like a month before. So it was like two months into boot camp. There's 20 Marines left. And that's when they told us, they said, you all have been selected to guard the president of the United States, either at Camp David or White House Communications. Wow. And I was just like, what is this? This is insane. I'm supposed to. And you didn't know that until No until idea. I signed for infantry and they only, I didn't know this till later, but they only took infantry people for the selection too. Okay. Um, and so in my head, I'm kind of jumbled because here, I know that if I accept this, then I'm going to go a whole nother trajectory. And I thought my friends are all going to go to war. And I'm going to go over here to this cushy job. So in my head, I was still like, I need to take advantage of this no matter what. Because what 21-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid could say they guarded the president of the United States. Right. And so I went that path. And uh, why I had to, after boot camp, I still had to go to, it's called the School of Infantry. Um, because you still needed that training. Because they knew when you were done guarding the president, you'd go back into that field. So for two more months, I trained after boot camp for infantry. Uh, at that point, that's where I did split from my friends. I went up to, uh, first it was North Carolina for like a security force training and then Washington DC for wait till my clearance went through. Cause as you, as you imagine, I had a pretty high clearance to hold a weapon next to the president. Right. Um, and so, and then I went to camp David after, uh, after 18 months total, I think from, from the security forces and the, and the Washington DC part. But all all the people that surrounded me at SOI, like it, it was alphabetically. My last name's Casper. And so I had Cherry over here, Cartwright over here, uh, and the list goes on. Like those people in my general area were all killed in Iraq because they were the first push. They were what we call the boots, like the first ones in. Um, and so I had a, I had survivor guilt before I even sure. went to war myself because I hated that I was in this position of like privilege and they were, you know, they lost their lives. Yeah. So I struggled a little bit with that, obviously. And then it took um, only a few more. took the 14 months while I was at Camp David that I decided that I had to leave there. And that's when I chose to, to go to war from there. Okay. So which president did you get to? So it was under George W. Bush. Bush. So it was in 2000. Because I think I was at Camp David from December of 04 to January of 06. Okay. Yeah. All right. So George Bush. Um, and then, so then you went off to war and, um, I know you're a life changing yeah. moment over there that leads you into music Yeah, because you oh, didn't do music, right? Nope. And also this is a fun story too. There's only two times I tried to learn guitar. The second one was when I first arrived to Iraq. Uh, I was with, it's called first toe platoon and it just means not like fingers and toes. It means like it's a, it's a acronym. It's for, um, targeted, now you're even for targeted ordnance something. It's like a um, missile that's on a little 
uh, wire that shoots. It's anti-tank. Okay. And, uh, and and for all the tow gunners out there, I was infantry first. They just threw me into a tow unit, so I didn't know anything about them. But um, it was pretty much mounted infantry, and I was in first toes, and we were relieving second toes. And so they left a guitar over there, and one of my uh, one of the guys under me uh, knew how to play it, and I told him I was like, "You need to teach me guitar over here." And he's like, "Okay," but I never, I never did. Again, I, it was a better thought than it was like I was like, "I'm not actually going to do this." Yeah. So, but after only two months there is when my buddy was shot and killed, uh, and it actually happened on this date 16 years ago. Today, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. This day, 16 years ago. And so, uh, that obviously affected and changed my life completely. Yeah. And, uh, my Humvee was blown up four times. So I have a left traumatic brain injury. And so when I, it, and so within four months of me being in Iraq, I was considered unfit for duty because of my brain injuries or because of constant concussions that led to a brain injury. And so I wait in Iraq, even after that four months, I still had to stay there. I had to stay there until my whole platoon came home. And so we came home. I checked out the Marine Corps uh, and just said, you know what, I almost died so many times, I'm just going to go live my life for a little bit. And I took about six months off um, before I did anything. I took, I had a Harley at the time. I took it to Sturgis. I just like was like, I'm just going to not use my brain and just kind of enjoy what I have on this earth. And um, I get back home and I decide to go to school because I want to be successful in something. I was like, you know what, I have this background with guarding the president and being in war, maybe I could be in the CIA or FBI or a three-letter agency, but be an agent and be back in that kind of the mix of it. And so I was like, all I need is a degree. And that's what I knew from, from when I separated. They're like, you just need a degree. You don't have to get a criminal justice degree. You just need a degree to be an agent and then the experience. So I decided I wanted to do business entrepreneurship just because as a backfall, I said, I'll just get this degree. It'll be handy if I don't like what I'm going to get into. The issue was I didn't know I had a brain injury at the time. Like my my head was jumbled and I was in a weird place, but the military never actually sent me to get help. So I didn't know I needed help. So I start going to this community college in Bloomington, Illinois called Heartland Community College. And I fail all my classes like the first the first semester. And I'm like, I'm not this dumb. What what is going on with me? So I go to the VA hospital and that's when I get diagnosed with all my issues, my PTSD, Mm. with my um anxiety, depression, brain injury, all these things. And I started slowly, slowly getting worse and worse to the, to the time that I became a recluse where I wouldn't go to school anymore. Or I'd try, I, I would make myself, but then when I was there, I'd go to the bathroom and throw up. Um, I couldn't do speeches in front of people. I had to legitimately do one-on-one speeches with my speech teacher in college. These 18, 19 year old kids are getting up there, giving their, their speeches. And I, as a 22 year old who guarded a president and went to war, have to go into a back room with a teacher. It felt so humiliating and miserable, and I didn't know why mm-hmm. I was feeling this way. But again, if anybody has a superpower, mine would be, or if I did, it would be optimism. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I always still thought that, well, I still just need a degree. Why can't I find an easier way out of this? I just want to be successful. So I chose art and creative writing because I said, you know, this is it was a complete cop out and i was like what if i could be around kids who don't want to talk to me and i don't want to talk to them my perception of them was just like anxiety ridden like me we won't communicate and i could just be by myself uh but that was the best best thing i ever did because when i went to that first drawing class they taught me pretty much how to tell my story without physically telling my story Mm -hmm. and it completely changed my life and so i started going to creative writing and we were doing poems and uh, short writings and, and prose and all this stuff. And my teacher, he was awesome because he, he's very like, 
he's like, you're a Marine and you drive Harleys and you have tattoos and you're doing creative writing. This is amazing. And uh, he really encouraged me to push it further. And so as I kept doing this, I would always go back to, I started doing a lot of art about my brain injury and about my physical injuries um, and about war, but I didn't do a ton of art about Luke, but I really needed people to know that he lived. And so this idea hit me. I was like, okay, I cry every time I talk about him, but I don't want to cry in front of people because I'm a tough Marine. What if I could write a song about him that I could just give to people? Because I need them to know he lived. And who, who is Luke? Tell us who Luke so is. So Luke Yepsen was one who was shot and killed beside me in okay. Iraq. Okay. Um, and so I wanted to be able to give you a song and then me walk away. Because I was like, here's how I translate it without actually talking about it. Like my art, I was talking about it without talking about it through physical paintings, drawings, ceramics. But I needed another way that if I just met you on the street, I don't have my art to pull out. I was like, I could pull out a song. So my friend... Brett Gillen at the time, he was the lead singer of a band uh, called Brushfire at the time. They since changed to Brushville, and they're toured all around the Midwest and a little bit out further. And um, He just so happened to be the lead singer in, the, uh, in a house band of this bar I bounced at. And we started around the same time, so we, we built a connection. And that was the first time I learned that songwriting is an actual job. He traveled to Nashville every single week. I think one... Uh, I mean, actually, he made like 116 trips or something like that. It was even more in a week sometimes. But he'd make 116 trips like in a year down here or something crazy in one year uh, to find songs for his band, but also to write and, and make new friends and try to like do the whole hustle. And that's the first time I was like, oh, I could be the one that writes this song. Because I do think if you backstepped, I wasn't thinking like maybe I was the writer, but maybe I can get someone to write the song. And then meeting him, I was like, no, I could be the writer. I could mm-hmm. learn how to do this stuff. Sure. And so he taught me my first three chords on a guitar and um, and taught me a little bit about songwriting, like the idea of it. And then I just went on my own and went to YouTube and was learning more guitar stuff. And I was rewriting. I was doing parodies of songs because it was helping. The, the Rolodex in my head was broken. That's what they talk about with my brain injury. So it was helping me actually become better with my brain, too, because constantly using words that typically weren't in my vocabulary. And as I was rewriting these parodies of, of hit country songs, um, it was just built, I was building the structure of songwriting in my head too. And so I start writing and, and it took about a year to write my first real song about Luke, but it still wasn't good. Like to me, it didn't put him on the pedestal it needed to be. Hmm. Uh, but by this time, I transitioned from Heartland Community College to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago up in Chicago. It's one of the best art schools in the country. And now I was working at another bar because my anxieties were so bad that I couldn't do job interviews. But when I went into bars and they saw I was a big Marine, uh, they'd usually ask me if, if they were looking for people. Or for the, in that case, I just mentioned to the guy, I said, hey, are you looking for anybody? I was in the Marine Corps. He's like, you're hired. So I didn't have to do the anticipation <laughs> right. of like doing a meeting and setting up and trying to impress someone. Uh, but it was it's called Joe's Bar, and it's won some some ACM awards and I think some CMA awards and for just being like venue of the year. Uh, huge artist, Miranda Blake, everyone plays it, even though it's a kind of a tiny sports bar. But um, I started working there because I knew they had music and I love music. And so they did this thing called uh, Nashville of the North Riders Round, and they had four hit riders. One, it was the first time really I've ever truly seen a riders round and it was my night off but i made sure i was there and i went up there and i just watched from the back i watched these four riders talk about their songs play those songs and i ended up going up to two there's four of them mm-hmm. and i went to the first one and i talked to him a little bit and i said hey have you ever written with a veteran or four veteran before and he was like no went to the next one asked him the same question after a little bit of conversation he said no 
Went to the third one, asked him the same thing, and he's like, oh, actually, yes. Me and Billy Ray Cyrus wrote a song called Runway Lights for Staff Sergeant who was coming home. Uh, and in my head, it clicked. I was like, this is a guy. So I just said, hey, I know you you don't know me from Adam, uh, but I have so much going on inside of me, and I went to war, lost my friend. I'm trying to write a song about it, but I can't get it out in the right way. If I come to you in Nashville, will you help me write this? And he said, yes. And that writer was Mark Irwin, who... I know Mark Irwin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mark Irwin was the second guest on this podcast. Really? Yeah, yeah. We've known each, we actually we used to write together a lot. That's insane. Yeah. So you know how I love Mark Irwin. big Mark Irwin is, too, in the songwriting space. Oh, yeah. He's huge. So for him, could you imagine what other writer, like, if you're playing of Chicago, even like me being the best of a person that I feel like I can be, I don't know if someone approached me in another city and said, hey, if I come to you and write, will you do yeah. it? You know? Yeah. And so for him, who wrote Here in the Free World, Alan Jackson's Here first number world, one. Yeah. Or yeah. And then all these other songs throughout, I don't know if he has eight number ones or something. He has a lot of number ones. He has a lot. Um, yeah. And for him to say yes to me, a stranger, nobody, he's legitimately the reason creative had started because he's the first one that gave me the opportunity to come down and write a song. So I came down um, and me and him wrote a song and a half and like, an hour and a half or three hours or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. What if I could do this for other people who are struggling? What if I could do this for other veterans who don't think they have a story to tell? If it was this easy with Mark and I've been working a lot, I feel like even a veteran with a story could just come down here and tell, tell that story, turn it into a song and it could save their life because it's given them words they don't know how to have. And so I left there just on cloud nine and it was so weird to me that something so sad turned into something so happy just by putting it into a song and i was doing art and music now for maybe four years and so and i was pretty much healed i was back to like normal richard after war just using art and music education not therapy it was just the education the process of it yeah which is which has helped me so much i said could this change someone else's life who's never done this before who's never really dabbled in it and so I have a friend who has, he lost his leg in Iraq and has burns over 60% of his body. He hates telling this story. So I said, if I can get Jesse to do this, I could probably get anybody to do this. So before we were even a nonprofit, I did like a raise on GoFundMe. We raised like 380 bucks or something. And I said, help me bring my friend down to Nashville. And so I did a very Nashville songwritery thing. When I was down in um, Panama City Beach, we were doing the whole spring break thing. A band called Blackjack Billy was playing. So Noel Billings and Jeff uh, Copeland and Rob uh, Blackledge. They were down there performing. And my girlfriend at the time loved them. So we saw them randomly sitting outside a bus. So we went up there, talked to them. And uh, we just got to talk. And, and then they said they're songwriters too. And they wrote... Um, uh, lo uh, Love and Thefts, number one, Lonely Eyes, or not Lonely Eyes, um, Angel Eyes. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is awesome. I was like, well, I was in Nashville. I wrote with Mark Irwin. <laughs> you know, do the name drop. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, establish that. Yeah. that. And um, yeah. I was like, and I brought a veteran, and I I'm, I want to bring another veteran to Nashville. And I showed them the photo of Jesse. said, if I brought him, would you guys write with him? And they're like, yeah, we would. And so that kind of got the process started. And then Jesse came down. I mean, it completely changed his life. This is a guy who doesn't like to talk, and he still says that three-hour writing session did more for him than the six years he had at the VA hospital because wow. he's finally able to express what he never could before, and then he shared it with his whole family, and his whole family is like, I never knew my brother thought that way, or it was just, it was absolutely amazing. So Mark Irwin and Blackjack Billy are the reason that we really do all the things that we do today. That's crazy. Wow. Um, so, okay, so what... 
what led you to becoming to creating creative vets and you know just from those two yeah those two instances and um and creating uh a nonprofit from that to create to become what it is now yeah does that make sense yeah and and here's the, the i will always especially with my brain injury i'll always be a co-founder of things like i co-founded creative vets i co-founded we should write some time like I know my limitations as a human, and that's some advice for people. You don't have to be the founder. You don't have if you have a great idea. You don't have to be like I'm the only one that has to do this. No, mm-hmm. bring in bring in people around you, and you'll really be successful. Because after Jesse wrote, and it completely changed his life, there's this lady in in Chicago named Linda Tarson who I is a whole another crazy story. How we even met at a steakhouse because it was the day before Veterans Day, and she was thanking the guy who's with me who's in uniform. Like that's how we started our 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 friendship and I just kept up with her every every month just telling her what I was doing it on that first interaction with her I knew she was very wealthy because when she gave us tickets to the Bears game and when I went to pick them up it was like right on Lakeshore Drive in this really nice building that had doormen and everything so I was like wow she's pretty amazing to just give up her seats and just to thank us out of nowhere uh, and give us this thing on Veterans Day that uh, when I followed up with her, I just told her about my life, like going to school, and I gave her this printout I had of Jesse and his leg, and uh, that was, was a beautiful photo of him on his Harley, and I just said, I didn't know what to get you, because you have probably whatever you want, so here's a piece of my artwork, mm. um, because you kind of changed my life with this whole Veterans Day gift of me going to this Bears game and everything, and just the kindness of a stranger. It was awesome. And so... The process of me writing with Jesse was in the middle of me knowing her and me updating her on stuff. So when I get back and I tell her how it completely changed Jesse's life, and then I wish I could turn this into a nonprofit, but I don't know how, she said, okay, let's do it. I was like, okay. what do you mean? She's like, well, I sit on multiple boards and uh, and I know some people that could help us like get this kind of ready to rock. And I was like, Really? She's like, yeah, let's do this. And so my only barrier to it was just not knowing. In my head, it was, I mean, it's hard. It is hard to run a nonprofit, but the startup of it isn't near as hard and like, it's not as hard as I thought it was in my head. I legitimately thought it'd be impossible for me with a brain injury to start a nonprofit. But again, it's the people around you. My buddy who's a Marine that I served with, he's my best friend. His wife is a, a lawyer. And does uh, business law, nonprofit law, all this stuff. And so when I told him, too, that Linda was on board, she's going to help me find some board members and set this up. We just needed someone to write the articles of incorporation and the um, our board. Um, sorry, my brain injury. My roller deck's still broken. <laughs> yeah. um, all everything else we needed, he's like, oh, you know, my, my wife could probably do that or girlfriend at the time. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I'll see if she does it. And then so pro bono, she writes up all of her stuff, helps us file it. Linda finds about four board members. I find four board members or so. I wanted, for representation, I had Jesse's wife on there because, you know, injured veteran spouse. I had my Marine buddy on there. Um, I had, uh, who else did I put on there? Ed Ed Warren from Joe's Bar because he was my boss. And I was like, I want some music representation. And that's when Linda, who randomly also met Adam Taylor, she invited him to the board just saying this is oh, the music. Okay. So he was one of the founding board members of Creative It's too. That's awesome. Um, so we Small pulled this, world, this man. ragtag team of people together. <laughs> and they. I remember the very first board meeting, they just said, Richard, this is your vision. This saved and changed your life. We'll give you the tools that you need to to like run a thoughtful and uh, uh, fiscally responsible nonprofit. You just 
do the programs and run them the way that you see that is going to help the most veterans because we don't know what's going to help you do. And so from there, it's it's crazy because I remember that very first board meeting. I was like, my vision for the future is have facilities that, I mean, obviously our mission is just to help wounded veterans heal through arts and music, like change their lives through music and, and art and education. But my in the back of my head, the one thing I've been fighting for was like, I want our music on the radios and I want people listening to them. I want artists singing them. Because if a veteran got a check in the mail, no matter how little it was, for one, they know their story's worth it. But also, those checks would come to Creative Ed so we could fully be sustainable in our admin and marketing through just uh, and fundraising through royalties. I was like, how cool would that be in the future if we could have our music do that for us? And I'd also like these 24 hour art centers all over the country where veterans who they suffer from PTSD, but you never know what's going to happen. To me, it would happen at like 1 a.m. I'd drive out to the cornfield and freak out and then call my battle buddy and just be like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm struggling. And so I wanted them to go to a place that wasn't a bar. So this is kind of like my big dream, big goals thing. And then in 2020, we opened up this facility, which isn't 24 hours yet, but it's a big old, as you saw, art facility with 3D yeah. printers, cameras, uh, everything you need to create art at any time if you just reach out to us. And then we're in, right now we're in our writer's room where we virtually write with veterans, teach them piano, guitar, bass, everything they want to learn. And then we struck up a deal with Big Machine Records to release our music. And we've had our music recorded by Aaron Lewis, Vince Gill, Justin Moore, um, Craig Campbell, Craig Morgan, Granger Smith, Randy Rogers, all these people who have either written with veterans or lent their vocals to our songs. So although it's not fully funding the stuff that we're doing, we're starting that thing, that process that I had way back in 2013. That's amazing. Okay, so with you kind of running the show, you know, basically, yes, you got all these people around you supporting you and, and running kind of behind the scenes, but um, being the face if you will, of creative vets. So when you connected with Big Machine Records, how did you go about connecting with them? And, yeah. And letting them know who you are, what you guys are doing for them to want to want to be involved with what you're yeah. doing. So this is about the hustle that almost every songwriter in Nashville understands and everyone who wants to come here uh, should understand is that I had a very strict regiment as if I was a songwriter because I knew I needed two songwriters per veteran I brought to town. So I went to every writer's round I could. I had my whole Monday through Friday writer's round nights that I went to, networked. But for probably like three years, I knew almost everyone now at Big Machine just from networking besides Scott and Sandy. And I was able to get to um, like even the COO and get in a room with him, but it was still so hard for him to even set up. A, as you know, Scott is just so hard to get into. Everyone wants to in a room with Scott and... So I tried every angle I could to get in there and talk about creative ads and what we were doing and try to pursue that, knowing that we needed a partner because we don't have a big enough team to release our music, to collect the royalties, to do all the admining. But Big Machine has always been like in my sights. Um, and so one day an email comes to the COO saying that that um, that Scott and Sandy just put a million dollars into their Music Has Value Fund. So it's their nonprofit they use for music charities and they're just it, they're investing into their own nonprofit to push out and they're opening it up to other nonprofits. And so the COO sent that to me and just said, hey, I think this might be our way into talking to to uh, Scott about what you're doing with Creative Ets. And so I had a follow-up call with another guy named John Zarling about what we were doing. He fell in love with it. He said, sweet, I'm going to pitch you to Scott and see if they want to meet you. And then they said, yeah, they want to meet you. Come in there, pitch what you're doing to see if they want to like fund some of your stuff through Music Has Value. And so I don't know if he, he probably wasn't expecting this, but when I was in there and although we need money, I'm a very strategic person. Like I'm very long, I'm looking 10, 20 years down the road. 
I knew that the money would just be like, it'd be helpful right then, but a partnership would be great for the rest of the time we're here. So when they asked me after we had this meeting and I was sharing with them some music that we wrote and everything through the program, and he's like, "What? well, what do you need from us? And most every other person was said money. And I said, you know what? Money, money is something that we need, but it's not, or something that we want, but it's not something we need. What I need is I, I really want a partnership with Big Machine Records. I was like, we have veteran creative music for veterans, by veterans that needs to be out there. And we just don't have the staff to be able to do this. Can we partner with you and in in your organization to release our music? And he thought about it for a minute and he looked back and he's like, okay, let's do it. Wow. And I'm just like, oh, it worked. <laughs> it worked. That's awesome. Um, and so I kind of sold it on that and just, uh, and now we've been working with them since 2020, releasing our music. We've had 46 songs released now um, that just, again, just going around the globe uh, for, it's not huge number, but again, we're going after the veteran audience and we haven't spent any money on marketing, but we have over 4 million uh, listens just from the streaming of those songs. Uh, so it's been awesome to hear the veterans who, I still get, I got a, a Facebook message few days ago on creative vets facebook they said uh vietnam vet uh he's like he said charlie f and mike which we use like the uh the military like alphabet phonics like the right. alpha beta that right. stuff or bravo that stuff and he put charlie f and mike keep making this music you've helped my ptsd so much so it's a guy who didn't even go through a program but he related so much to the words that we put in the songs that it's helping his ptsd and so without that partnership with Big Machine and Scott and them, we wouldn't have our music out there to reach that one veteran who needs it the most. That's amazing. Um, so I'm curious with with them releasing music for you guys and having that many songs out and being successful, mm -hmm. because being a songwriter, you know, just writing with someone doesn't make you a songwriter one yeah. time. You know, I mean, you, it it's years of doing, you know, it's putting work in and lots of effort and, you know, doing it over and over and over to improve your craft and all that, yeah. you know, all this stuff. So what is the, what is the level for you guys to have a song written by veterans? I know granted not every veteran is, is paired with one or two writers, correct? There's always like two pro writers. Yep. Okay. And most of our writers have number ones or multiple hits. Okay. So, okay. Th then I guess that answers the question. I was going to ask, you know, how do you determine what song is going to be good enough to be able to make it to, you know, to get actually recorded and put out yeah. and that kind of thing. But if you're right, if every person is writing with a pro writer or two, then, um, you know, then obviously that makes a difference as well. So let me ask you this. Um, have any of, any of the veterans that have been writing for a while now, have any of them gone on to become pro writers? No, but they have become writer writers. Like they haven't fully moved here to continue to do it. And what I tell everyone is we're not trying to make uh, veterans into artists or full-time songwriters. We're trying to give them the skills to, if anything else bad happens in their life, they could write about it. Sure. Cause as you know, the therapeutic nature of if you're going through say, uh, if you went through a car accident or a divorce or something like as songwriters, we have the tools to now turn to our guitars or keyboards and then turn that into something positive. Veterans don't have that opportunity for the most part. So that's what we're teaching them when they come to, the, to write. The cool thing about it, we actually record every song, uh, even if they're not, yeah. not going to be released. Right. But the first day and something I didn't mention before, we have a partnership with the Grand Ole Opry. So we write backstage at the Grand Ole Opry in the dressing rooms where nobody else gets to write. Wow. So I'm flying That's in fun. five veterans. We pay for their flights, food, housing, everything. So they don't have to worry about a thing. 
they get here, they have veteran mentors. So like me and other veterans who've been through the program, we're their battle buddy, their mentors. And we're like co-writers on the song because we're going to go into that room with them to make sure everything they need to say gets said. And then there's two pro-writers. So in the back of an Opry house, there will be four of us writing out one song in five separate rooms. The next day, we go to the Ruckus Room and fully record all five songs with some of the best session musicians in town. And each veteran gets to hear their song come to life. And then they get to hear the other songs come to life. So when we have a female veteran and a Vietnam veteran or African-American veteran or whoever, they start seeing that they're not so different after all because every song kind of, there's something in there that relates to them. Sure. And then they create this bond. And so we have probably 500 or plus songs that have written uh, and probably like 250 that have been like studio recorded and released 46. We just release them on special days now, like Veterans Day, Vietnam Veterans Day, uh, okay. Memorial Day. And we usually just fit the song to whatever it's going to be. So if it's, uh, we did have a very patriotic song uh, called This uh, We Are America that we released on September 11th, of course, because it was mm-hmm. written about all the um, people who fought and died in, in the, or 9 11 and then how we're going to move forward as a country. So we try to like make it so it fits the the mm-hmm. nature of whatever the holiday is. But yeah. Is it strictly uh, focused on country music? No, it's whatever the veteran wants. Okay. So if the veteran said, it's so funny. Do you know Brian Davis? Brian Davis. He wrote one hell of an amen. He recently wrote Lee Bryce's uh, memories, memories. I don't mess with. It was number one. Yeah. yeah. Um, phenomenal dude. I went on tour with Brantley and everything. And, um, he, he he's he's very country. He's very like Brantley kind of sound and style. And when he sat down with a veteran, the veteran's like, I want to write a reggae song. And he did. <laughs> and that's the beauty of like the Nashville yeah. songwriters. Like when you get to the top, we've had we've had other ones who've written um like Sublime. Someone's like, I love Sublime. We wrote it just like it would be like a funky kind of yeah. that vibe. Uh when they say they want a Christian song, I'll pair them with Brian White or another uh Michael Purier has done it before and a few others, and then even Granger Smith, because we're kind of going down that road um, with his song too. And then, um, so yeah, whatever genre they want to write, we usually try to find a writer that specifically writes to that. Yeah, that's cool. As writers, how do the pro writers, how are they getting connected with you guys now? Is it all through Big Machine, or is it through, are there different avenues that people, I mean, you've been around long enough now that people are familiar with you, they're probably coming to you. You just say, hey, we want to work with you guys to do it. But bef- before you got to the point where you are now, right now, um, how were you connecting with the pro writers to bring them in? Was that all through Big Machine or is no, that other that avenues? No, they or? haven't really. I mean, they've, um, everyone, they'll ping a few artists if we want it. Like Aaron Lewis, the only reason he did that song is because we pitched them to Big Machine and they did it. But for the songwriters, it started with me just going out every night and just saying, rounds, yeah. I, bring, I bring vets, will you write with them? And, yeah. But I would wait. I would hear their music. It didn't matter. You could you could have written 10, 12 number ones, but if you seem like not a nice person on stage, I'm not going to come ask you. Like right. it doesn't, I don't care about your your what you're doing. That's why I'm good in rooms too, because I've written with all these big artists and I, I'm not afraid to say, no, that's not going in the song. Whatever the veteran wants goes in the song. So they're not, because they're not supposed to be writing towards a hit song. They're writing the veteran song. Because right. even if nobody hears it, it's for them at the end of the day. Right. Um, but I would go up to him and just ask him. And I started this small Rolodex of songwriters and then they'd text their friends and be like, Hey, uh, would you want to write with a veteran ever? And then it just kind of kept expanding to the point where a lot of them now it is, they'll either seek us out, they'll hear about us through something or, um, another songwriter will tell them you have to do this. And it's just been so cool to see the growth. We've worked now with, I think over 200 songwriters. And I probably would say we didn't, I, I didn't do the numbers on this, so don't, 
you know, but it, I would say 75% of our writers have at least one number one. It's just been, it's the pouring of love that they've given us uh, for those one-on-one rights has just been insane. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, I know you you have other organizations that you're running as well that are music-related in addition to Creative Ads. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those other things that you're doing as well. Yeah, so We Should Write Sometime <clears throat> is a, um, it's funny because the story comes from Creative Ads. It's not, it's not a nonprofit. It's a, it's a strictly for-profit, <clears throat> small music tech startup. But uh, and what my co-founder for that always says, and I love it because it sums up so well, is that you know, cab companies didn't start Uber and hotels didn't start Airbnb. And so having an outsider come in and see what the issues is in songwriting, because I wasn't a songwriter, but I came in for creative events, and I started noticing, uh, I did this side project because through the process of writing, I became a writer. Like from just being a fly on the wall, helping the veteran tell their story, I became a songwriter. And yep. so I started writing more. And I did this project with APM Music and Adam Taylor out mm-hmm. in LA, where it was just about getting more veteran music into TV and film. And so I went out there and I was writing with this girl who was under Universal. Uh, it was like where a Universal writer has their own publishing, but it was under Universal, that yep. whole thing. Yep. And so. Writing with her, and she just brought up casually, like, I'm so jealous of what you have in Nashville because you can go to any bar and find a songwriter. And that in LA is so big that unless I'm paired with one, I don't I don't meet new ones on the streets like you guys can. So I always kept that little nugget in the back of my head. And then I'm here in town and I'm writing with these veterans who are all flying back to their home states. Cause again, we help veterans in now 49 different states have flown to Nashville. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, when they fly back to Montana and to Utah and to Boston and all these places, how are they going to continue growing in songwriting if they can't find songwriters around them? Then the last thing that kind of like really sparked this was I met my now wife. And I said, well, I used to go out till like 3 a.m. every night to recruit songwriters and meet them and and tell them what I'm doing. But now I don't want to leave my house. So all those three things hit me at once. And I said, you know, QM commercial, there's got to be a better way. Right. (laughs) And, um... (laughs) I said, why can't there be something as simple as like the dating apps, Bumble or Tinder, but for songwriters to where if I came to Nashville, I can get on this app and legitimately just swipe left or right on songwriters that have the same kind of style or what I'm looking for. If I do mainly, uh, you know, hooks, lyrics and a little bit of melody, why can't I partner with a melody tracks person? And so I went to my buddy Kevin at the time and I said, creative will always be my number one thing. I'll never put money over these veterans. I always, I want to save their lives and I'm going to go full in on creative it's but i do have this awesome idea that's going to help the songwriting world it's not only going to help them connect but it'll help them save money and make money over time but the first issue is we got to connect them and we got to connect them globally we got to give them access and we got to give my veterans access now so we came together that same day i think it just did a storyboard real quick of what the app could look like and we took a lot of it from the idea of of the dating apps where now when you get on there you, it's just one photo because obviously it's not dating. You don't need a bunch of photos. <laughs> you have one photo. You put it in a bio. Like for me, it's like, you know, Richard Casper from Nashville, Tennessee, writing. I do multiple genres. Here's a little link to my APM catalog that I do. I've had 50 placements. And then through Creative Ets, I've written with people like Justin Moore and all these people. So you could spruce it up like you would if you were going to go peacock out right. at a whiskey jam or something. Sure. And then I put my socials on there and I put my skills. So I put guitar, uh, keyboard, and lyrics, and melody, and you put your skills on there. And then I just let it go. And everyone who comes to Nashville now, they see my profile and they feel they like me. They swipe right. And when I get back on there, if I see them and I like their music, I swipe right and we connect. 
So it's a double opt-in. So you can <laughs> only awesome. you can only connect with the people you want. And yeah. we went further with it to where if you're a professional writer, whether you've had you know a top forty, you know. 20 years ago or today, you're still technically a professional writer, even yep. if you're out of the game now, yep. or if you have a, a legitimate pub deal, we give you a blue check mark. And what that does is you can toggle out of everyone else and only see other blue check marks. Here's where this is so awesome. It's like, even when your publisher can't get you a write in LA with a pop writer, you can now geolocate your profile to LA. And you'll see someone like who's on our app named Tone J, who wrote Holy with Justin Bieber. So like a Jonathan Singleton or a Mark Irwin over here, can now put their profile over there and connect with people that even their publishers probably couldn't connect them with. And they wow. can start filling their own calendars. That's cool. And so after this next round of funding, we're actually going to develop an integrated calendar system to where it sets your own. Like if I, if I swipe on you and you swipe on me and we connect, I can add a third. Say I pull in Kevin. It'll auto-populate our calendars saying like, hey, December 16th is the next day you have available or whatever it is. And if we lock that in, it'll actually ping us and say, you have right tomorrow. And then when you do the right, it'll ping you that night and say, did you write a song? What's the title and what are the splits? And you just put those in there and then lock them away and then just keep going. So at the end, if you see where we're going with this, we're going to make it a streamlined process for you never to forget who your co-writers were. When you, If a song eight years later becomes a number one, you're like, go back to it. And you're like, hey, look, this is what we settled on. But even bigger than that, we're just going to weigh the change the way music's accessible. So someone in Dubai could geolocate to LA to find a top liner or someone from Ireland could geolocate to Australia if they want to get in that music or if you want a K-pop hit. Now you don't have to worry about publishing and record labels. You can go straight there via the app and do it yourself. Um, so That's we have, amazing. We have over 10,000 uh, connections now, like co-writes. And we even had this one girl who emailed us from Atlanta who said, you got me my first pub deal. And I was like, uh, well, Kevin was like, uh, please tell me more. She's like, yeah, I can't. My husband works in Atlanta, so I can never go do my dream of being in Nashville. So what I did was built my profile, put it in Nashville, and I connected with a published writer. And their publisher loved her song so much, she signed me to a deal. And I was like, that, and it was a legit deal. Like, they had like eight people in the roster, and on the record side, they had Daryl Worley. And so yeah. I was like, this is like a legitimate thing that we're doing, and it's a completely free app. It's it's so cool. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. That is super cool. That's my next question is, you know, what what does it cost to be a member on that? You know, or, yeah, hundred percent free. We it'll always a hundred percent be free. It's like the dating model. Uh, it'll always be free, but in the future there will be a charge to geolocate somewhere, but it's going to be super low, like two ninety nine, three ninety nine. And so you got to think about it. like our Canadian friends who come down here for Tin Pan South. They're spending thousand bucks on a flight, thousand bucks on a hotel, and they meet people because this is real life what they tell me. They're like, yeah, I come down here to meet songwriters so the next trip I make, I could write with them. Now, they could just geolocate to Nashville during Tin Pan and find all the people they want to and then come down here and write or vice versa. I had a girl mm-hmm. from New York who was like, I'll be in Nashville from <clears throat> these dates if anyone writes with me. And I connected with her and I said, hey, I actually won't be here, but I want to know how your experience goes because I'm one of the founders of the apps. And I just wanted, this is why we created it for people like you. After that week went by, she was like, I had three rights all three days, and they're phenomenal, all because of the app. And yeah. I was like, this is awesome. So we're saving the money that way. But it'll never be astronomical because, again, we want to make sure that the songwriters can, could do it when they can't afford it. That's fantastic. And how long has, how long has that app been going? So the inception of the idea was roughly 2017, I think it was. And then we did a really slow like beta until probably... 
2018, 2019, and then that's when it really took off, and we started. Prom- we didn't actually. We still haven't even spent marketing dollars on it, and we have six thousand riders using it. So, um, it's roughly. I mean, there's obviously a lower number of like total active users because the whole first few years where we didn't have push notifications, we didn't have where you could geolocate to a different city. Uh, but now as we get more press and stuff, it's just like, it is skyrocketing. Like the amount of users now and the people that um, we, I think we went up, it was a crazy number. Kevin told me yesterday, like 600% in, in the user growth just from last year to this year, something crazy because people need it more than ever now. That's fantastic, man. I love that. That's such a cool thing. I can't believe I haven't heard it before now well it's and, our far, fault because we haven't done marketing but, well, but we want to make sure it's right we this whole that's what we were stressing about we were just like we don't want you to get on it and then be like well i'm going to get off because there's no songwriters on here or yeah. it didn't feel right so we were waiting until we had it prepared in a way that we knew would be good for the world well i love that that we know about it now and that we've got an opportunity to let the world know about it through our conversation today so that people can go check it out so i would highly encourage people to go check out we should write some time. Yep. So how do they how do they find that? Yeah, the Nashville handshake. You just have to type that into apps, Google Play or App Store. Just put "We should write some time." Okay. And the spaces, and even if you don't do spaces, it should still pop up. Uh, but it's very simple to use. You don't see a profile unless you fill out your. Uh, you'll see profiles, but they won't see you until you fill out yours. Because we just need to make sure they're legitimate songwriters. So. These, even if you're a lyricist, still get on there because there's people who need lyricists. Oh, yeah. There's melody people. You just have to be able to put in a, one photo and then put in a little bit of the bio and some links, and then you're good. Okay. So they have to have links to actual music? They don't need... They could do socials. They could do... You can do to a Spotify. Even if you're not the singer, it could be like songs you've written yeah. for. Um, yeah. Like me having the APM catalog. Um, or you could just do Instagram or... It's just so you show that you're a real person, that you're connected to something. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and then... Oh, so yeah, third part of that is because again, we talk about like songwriters not having money to do what they love. <laughs> and um, and we have so for creative it's too, which is awesome. Like we have our song ty- songwriters volunteer. There's other nonprofits too that utilize songwriters and they pay them for every right that they do. But for us, it's more important for them to feel like it's a normal right. Because what we do is it's like a normal co-write. If we go to Big Machine, we release a song with Aaron Lewis or someone else. All four people in the room are writers. It's split the same ways. Like right. if you're a pro writer, we do your publishing, you're a pro writer. Anything that I write goes to creative it. So writers and publishing, anything the veteran writes, they get their publishing and, and writer's royalties. If they want to give us their publisher's royalties, they can. But everyone, it's like a normal right. So we don't want to take that away as like a contracted right for one. But I want them to be in it for the right reasons. But we travel with songwriters all the time. And we do these performances for companies where they need songwriters. Mm-hmm. And we've probably doled out probably like 50,000 this year in loan to songwriters, like paying them for, for doing things for us through activities and stuff. So there's a way for them to make money that way. But the idea of in our model from the beginning was, okay, we're really not even like pushing this app as like a way to find the co-writes more of a way to, even though that's what it's doing, it's a way to save time. So me and you could have a co-write, you could take a bathroom break, and I could set up another co-write while you're in there. <laughs> so that's what's cool is you're streamlining that process. But it's also, how do I get you off Broadway playing like every night of the week just to make enough money to do those rights? Well, we have another thing called We Should Write Your Song that the website hasn't completely been out yet. But if you're a songwriter who wants to get involved, you can always email us. It's like contact at we should write some time.com and you can go to the, just the normal website to download it. You'll find us there too. Um, but what we're going to start doing is custom songs for people. So we're going to give a higher percentage than anybody else does to the writers. And it'll actually, 
as our organization grows as a small tech company and we keep growing, the percent that we give back to songwriters is going to be higher and higher and higher because we will lose money on that end because we'll be making more money on the other part of the business, which we're, we're going to get into in the future, which is like a publisher portal, an A&R portal, like how to find the people all across the globe who are using our app, using data specifically. And uh, we just want to be able to give them the opportunity to do what they love, songwriting. But if they write a song for a friend who's like, hey, I want to write a song about my dog that I love. And then we pay them to write the song and we do the whole, it's like, we're like the third party. We find the customers, we send them to you. You write a custom song, send it back to us. We send it to them and you get paid. Yeah. So it's called, we should write your song. And that's something that we'll start marketing soon too. Okay. And that's similar to another website called Songfinch. Yep. And they kind of do something similar to that. Yep. Ours is a little bit different and it's, it's the same, same model ish, but all of our writers are anonymous. Cause as you know, it's kind of, if you're a legitimate songwriter in Nashville or trying to pursue songwriting or if you're a published writer, you're not, it's, it's like, it's not forbidden, but it's shunned upon to write for money. And I met a lot of people who would never do song finch only because of the optics. Ours is a hundred percent, um, anonymous so when they when they the person on the other end is wanting a song and they say i want a song for my wife i want it to sound like this we find songwriters in a repertoire that sound like that we give them those songs to write and we never actually tell them who wrote it but we just have it that way so it helps and the reason we even set so we're the same way where we will a customer will have to pay us 199 bucks same as song finch that's you know how low that is compared to what they should be paid. Yeah. Um, and I think the song Finch model is they give 50%. They take 50% from uh, that, right? And then they only give 50% to the songwriter. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And that's what it is now. So for ours, we're starting off at, we only take 35%. But again, we're going to lower that as we grow in revenue. So it's almost nothing coming to us. It's a small like credit card fee coming to us and they get the full thing. Because again, that's already so low. And I honestly feel like it's taking advantage of the songwriter because we they need money so much that they're just flocking to that little chump change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want to be able to provide a, a new way for people to to make money and they can bust that out and then go back to writing songs. So is that a live thing right now? Or is so that- we we have written a few songs for people already. Okay. Like if listeners are like, hey, we want a song through that, we have the capability to produce a bunch. Okay. But we haven't marketed that either. We've done nine songs already just through people when we talk to them about it. They're like, oh, I want a song. And yeah. then we have a repertoire of songwriters that we send it out to. So the website is the only thing we're waiting for. Like we have it on lockdown. We're just waiting for it to get finished by our developers. And once it's launched, we're, we're running a gun in. But if someone wanted to be a part of that now, you obviously still have to kind of audition to be a writer for it. Because obviously if you're going to be busting out these songs, they still have to be quality. It has to be good songs. Yeah. Have to be able to write to what they specifically want. Um, so on the songwriter end, it's open. And on the people who just consumer end, if they still, if they want a song about something, we have plenty of pro writers, even some, Grammy number one songwriters who we won't tell you who they are, but they'll, they may be writing your song. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so it, for, for people listening, for those that are writers that yep. would be interested in, in doing something like that and writing for, uh, those types of things, um, what do they need to, what do they need to be able to do? How do they need to connect with you in order to make that happen to get it, to get kind of get on that roster with you guys? Yeah. If they go, um, we should rise time.com. They'll the only thing that's on there is a download now and a contact us. Just hit that contact. Say I heard about you guys on here. I'm a songwriter. Would love to show you what I do and love to be a part of this process because we will need need more songwriters for that. Okay, and then if people, 
somebody listening is like, man, the, the creative vets thing that's, that's up my alley. I would love to do that. You know, maybe they may not be number one songwriters. They may not have hit songs out on, on the radio, but this, they make it, they do songwriting for a living. Yep. Like this is how you make your living. Um, or at least to some extent, um, are they, is there a way for them to work with you guys? Kind of. It's a yes and no. And what's really important to us, and I always hate doing this to writers because I actually know some writers who are better than some of these pro writers that sure. we work with. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the day, we're trying to invent in suicide. And I know what it's like to struggle. And I'm not going to get out of the house. When I was in my bad state of mind, I would not have went to write with Brett, my best friend, about my feelings. Because he wasn't like, you have to make sure that your excitement and anxieties can or your your anxieties and depression have to be outweighed by excitement so the idea that a veteran could come to nashville right backstage at the grand old opry with a mark Irwin or a craig morgan or someone else that's what gets them out of the house so that's why most of the songwriters who reach out to us if they're not published pro writers making money have some sort of some sort of thing to their name to where i'm like oh do you guys know this guy wrote Lucky with Jason Mraz and Colby Collette, and they're like, what? They get so excited that they're more willing to come to my program. So try nobody to take offense to that, because at the end sure. of the day, it's veteran suicide that I'm most worried about. Yeah. And I know that seems like an arbitrary thing to think about, but to some veterans, it is. Absolutely. It's absolutely what they need, and so I try to eliminate all friction points. Saying that doesn't mean that we've still worked with multiple people who are not pro writers. We actually usually pair them with the, the pro hit writers. So when I have a guy like... Chris Ferraro, who's been running gun in this town forever, doesn't have a pub deal, phenomenal singer-songwriter. Anytime I have a big write, like when Charlie Warsham said he'd write, I put Chris with him. And so knowing I already had that that excitement level, I added someone I knew was really good. So yeah. if you're a great songwriter, you're in it for the right reasons. Or if you're in different genres, we need rap, R&B, pop more than anything. Because mm-hmm. being in Nashville, we get all the country artists we can handle. Yeah. Um, we would love to still hear from you and hopefully work with you in the future or if things come up where we do travel rights if we're traveling to places like we do often um it's not more it's more about the songwriting than is who we're bringing so still please reach out but again don't be offended if we don't use you yeah well one of the things i think is really cool is with the sync music side of things apm and you know getting music on tv and film and things like that ads and whatever and you guys getting the opportunity to do that kind of stuff um because i work in that world as well so, and I know tons of amazing writers who have placements all over the place yeah. and, and a lot of them are in kind of in the, the rap and hip hop world. Um, that's awesome. Which is, that's always needed everywhere. Oh yeah. And, and placements are just exciting. People, some normal civilians and vendors don't understand what's awesome in the music industry. Right. You could say, I had a placement in the movie Cars and they'd be like, oh my gosh. You say, I had a Tim McGraw hit. They're like, oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah, if there's some sort of notability that we can go back to that veteran and be like, look what this person did, that's the excitement that we need. Well, but what's what's cool is that for the veterans that are getting to write with these guys, and if you, so just solely on the sync side of things for a minute, if, you know, if they're writing with you and you get a placement with them on a TV show or ad or movie or whatever it is, then all of a sudden, this veteran has legit cred because they've got their song yeah. and their story, you know, being put on, being put out there, and so that's given them some opportunities that they would have never dreamed of. Oh yeah, you know for sure, and um, and it's just opening doors for them to be able to, you know, if they want to continue to do more of that, then there's that 
that's opening up those opportunities there. Yeah. One know? of our songwriters, our veterans, who is pursuing music and is phenomenal and getting better, he even rolled in Berkeley afterwards, started doing that. And well, his guitar is like, the what he could do on guitar is absolutely amazing. And his first write was with Tyler Farr and Heath Sanders. And so he can now use that. He actually tries not to. He's a very humble person. I'm like, no, in Nashville, use that to get in the rooms and just let the rest, let do the rest. Because... It's like a fake it till you make it or peacock as much as you can to get in these rooms. If you're if you're good, like, because it'll find you out. Nashville will find you out. Mm-hmm. If you do this and you're not good and you're just like dropping names and dropping names and you get in these rooms, they're automatically going to know that you're not as good as that. And so you'll be weeded out. But if you are good and you're confident, use what you have. Like that, I had to do that to build creative as. I was not, and I'm still not, the best songwriter in the world. And with my brain injury, I'm a little slower than most, so I like to kind of write by myself a lot of times. But I absolutely use Mark Irma's name. And now it's saved thousands of lives because of it, because I was able to get in more rooms and more rooms and just build this like, oh my gosh, look at what Richard's done. He's had cuts by all these people and writes, but it's like, no, I'm not even that awesome. I'm just like, I'm consistent in the rooms and I know how to like be a good hang. And if, as you know, most writes you would choose a good hang over uh, like a hit writer who's just like a mean person or something like that. Sure. Unless you're like really, if you know they're artists and you're trying to write to artists, it might be different. But for the most part, I know people who definitely choose the other way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they want a good hang. They yeah. want to feel good in the right. Sure, we, and we talk about that on, on the show all the time. I mean, I can't I can't even count the number of times we've had that very same conversation. Yeah. You know, you always, almost, I mean, 99% of the time, I think people are going to choose to hang out and with someone who's enjoyable to be around yep. and maybe not, maybe not be the best songwriter, but they're, they're fun to be with as opposed to the person who is a total jerk and just thinks he's, he's everything and you're not going to get anywhere without them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And cause nobody wants to be around that. And very, some, for, for some reason, sometimes those people end up being the most successful <laughs> and we don't know, can't figure out quite why that is because it's like, man, nobody wants to be around this person, yeah. but you know, um, you know what I think that might be is because I know one of those people because I think because <laughs> yeah. when you get pushed out like because you've already established writing those songs with that group of people and then you get pushed out of that group and you go to another group like they always find a new group so as you know like the more more groups you get into the more successful you'll probably be just <laughs> luckily because if you wrote a song eight years ago just by volume and it's still a good song yeah but they pushed you out of that group it still will rise to the top if it's a good song. Sure. And so I honestly think because they keep getting pushed out, because I know, especially know one of those people um, who's had success because of that, but he wrote it like pretty far back. And then mm-hmm. it kind of spurred him now being in more rights. And again, keeps getting kicked out, but he's still here. <laughs> so um, it probably is better because that's kind of why even the app, I tell people, you don't need your own camp until you get to like Eric Church level. Then you could figure out who you want to write with. But for now, try to write with someone new every single day. Even if you have your core group friends that you do like, even the crappy writes, you're going to learn something from. Yeah. And again, you're going to find that person who you may not j- jive with, but that song could become a hit song like 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. But you don't know unless you get in that room with them. Yeah. And one of the things I want to just jump back for a second on the sync side of things, talking about that, is for for veterans that, that do get to write with, with your guys that are in that world... And do end up getting placements. Chant the very strong chances are they're going to make more money, even though that's, even though that's oh, not, yeah. that's not their intention necessarily. But if they hope, hey man, I hope I you know hope through the process of doing this and getting some relief, you know, mentally and you know how and emotionally and all that. Um, but hopefully, you know, I, I can make some income off of this. Oh yeah, 
they're going to make a lot more money on the sync side of things more than more than likely than they are from <laughs> from the other no. side of it from the radio side of it unless it's going to be you know Alan Jackson or Tim McGraw or, yeah. or Aaron Lewis, whoever that's going to put the song out, you know, then they might, they'll hopefully make something there. But the sync side of things, uh, for people that aren't aware of that, there's a better chance of making good income on that side of things than on the radio side of things. Oh my no, gosh, no, yeah. Just, I actually educate a lot of my pro, because I get to live in both those worlds. Yeah. I educate my pro writer friends on that all the time. Oh, yeah. Because I'm, I got a, one of my placements, it was for a Jeep commercial for Patriots Day, 32nd instrumental, 25000 they paid. Not me personally, but that... Obviously, after it was split and yeah. it came down to me. That's the same was, fee. Yeah, it was awesome. And I was like, hold it. But the great thing about that, that song did get, re- then it got placed on another thing and another thing and another thing. So yeah. over time, and I know one guy who lives in Nashville, I think he makes over 300000 a year on his catalog just because it's been there for 20 years and they all get resynced and he does nothing. APM is the one that's still pushing his music out there and he just keeps getting these checks and he gets to decide now what he wants to try to push to radio, what he wants to take on tour with him. Any song he doesn't think is good enough for like an album or something, he throws in sync. And he's like, it could or could not get picked up. But yeah. it's like, it's incredible how much money can be made in sync. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's hard work. I mean, we, no, we, it talk, is, yeah. we talk about like, hey, man, just throw it over in the sink and it'll and you're, you make $300,000. No, it's not that nope. easy. Um, and that but, took him like 20 years to get right. to that point. But but the potential is there, yep. you know, and it's always a, an, an opportunity that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? Yeah. So, which is great. Um <clears throat> Man, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for for letting me come over and talk with you about all this stuff. Oh and, my gosh, yeah. Um, I love talking music. So what's some advice, as we kind of wrap up, what's some advice that you can give to people that want to get involved, um, you know, either working with you guys on the creative vet side, uh, we should write some time, or we should write your song. I mean, that's you got a lot going on here, but there's yeah. not a lot of opportunities. So for people that... What are the credentials that they that people need to have in order to work with you guys, and um, what's advice that you would give to people that to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean anybody in the music industry that's listening, um, I mean we need help from all sides, like publishers, coordinators, uh, just people who know who we are from when opportunities come up, especially around Veterans Day and other things where they're like, hey, how do we incorporate music and veterans? Like, oh, let's go to creative ads or. Let's have one of our new artists work with them and as they're doing an event. Or we do, we had a Country Music Hall of Fame show we did with uh, Brett Young and Jordan Davis and Drake White and Craig Campbell and stuff. And we have this golf tournament we do we where we have a ton of music industry people come out. And it's honestly the support, knowing us, listening to our music, and uh, helping us meet the next generation of songwriters, artists who will end up being the big number one writers and stuff so that they keep on helping our veterans because... There's 20 suicides a day in the veteran military space, and 14 of those 20 don't actually seek help. And so we're utilizing songwriters and artists to get those. And that number slowly is starting to go down because generationally, but there will be another war one day that will cause a bunch more headaches on people, and, and we just need this relief. So just telling people about what we do and how we do it and listening to our music is going to help so much. And then we talked about it a little bit earlier, but on the, the side of volunteering, uh, if you are actually a songwriter, especially if you're uh a published writer or a uh, notability, you have some sort of notability and you're in other genres outside of country, we would love for you just to contact us. And that's creativevets.org. And you'd say, you spell out creative and just add TS. So there's not two Vs. Some people will put creative and then vets as separate words. Right. Creativevets.org. Just go to contact us and say, hey, I'm a writer. I'd love to, to volunteer time. And we'll do a whole vetting process. And we don't use a ton of songwriters per year. Um, 
So that's another reason why we may not get to you in time, but we still would love for you to apply and see because we go to places, we go travel to veterans, we we take songwriters places, but it'd be better if we knew you lived in Arizona or LA and we're going out there with another nonprofit. It's good to know that you live here so then we can bring you on in. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with creative. It's for We Should Rise Time, legitimately, if you're a songwriter of any, any caliber, unless you're like Ashley Gorley level, you probably don't need it, but any caliber, you should get on this app. Again, we built it for the songwriter to connect, and now we're, we're open in five, we're at UK, Australia, Israel, um, United States, Canada right now, but we're opening in 12 more countries soon. But just to be able to have access to other songwriters and continue doing what you love, please just get on the app and enjoy having these connections. Because um, honestly, that's the only way you're going to make it is if you continuously do this. There's there's those anomaly stories where it's a guy who lives in South Carolina who ends up like uh, writing a bunch of hits and just stays there and only travels here. But don't take that into what you're going to do. Just try to be as proactive as you can and just write with as many people as possible. And then on the We Should Write Your Song thing too, you still have to be a caliber of songwriter, but anybody could submit to us and then we'll just ask for some of the songs you've written, uh, especially if you've written for yourself. And we'll we'll just send you a little like test thing to write to and uh, all you need to do is write to it. That's another differential between us and Songfinches. On Songfinch, you have to, to write and do like a work tape melody, like understand tracks. We actually have someone in-house who will... You just write the guitar vocal and we'll put it to the track and everything. Okay, so I was going to ask you about that. Um, so you're saying that you you guys record in-house the songs. If you can, right? if you have the capabilities of doing it and it sounds better with yeah. you guys doing it, because part of our model is actually having someone in-house who just constantly does that. Songs come in, they produce the whole thing, okay. and then push, push it out. But for right now, it's been hit or miss. Probably out of the songs that we recorded, um, three of them have taken us up on that offer that we'd just do the, the work, take vocal. Or they would kind of do it and then send it to us, and we'd just uh, church it up a bit and then send it back. And if they liked it, we'd send it to the, to the person. Okay, so is everything you're doing on that side of the business is it all just like acoustic vocal or piano vocal like a more of a quote not a not a demo in itself but it's like but, a, a glorified work tape yeah uh, it's it probably it's just, fully just under a demo sometimes they'll put in drums and, yeah. and keyboard and stuff yeah. um, the more you can do it obviously the more likely that we would utilize your resources in the future as we keep growing yeah uh, until we have someone that can fully put that on but that's what we're trying to get to is that do, we can make it a one-stop shop i'm just curious um you know if somebody wanted a fully produced song you know is that something that you guys would consider doing at a higher rate oh yeah 100 percent. there's a lot of things and i won't spill all the beans on here that we're going to get into but there's a lot of things that we're going to do off this too. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's one of those things that we're going to do. We're okay. going to try to get to, especially with our access to all the studios down here and how we do it. And then we could bulk them up, do five songs at somewhere and yeah. uh, record them all. Yeah. Well, I was also going to ask, because you were talking about when you're doing the, with the creative vets, with the veterans, you guys write songs and you, and you take a batch of them to a studio here in town. Mm -hmm. And then you've got pro players coming in to play all that stuff. Yep. Right. So when, when you get all the players, is that something that you guys are having to reach out to hire them, or is the the label working? No, yeah, it was actually um, Jeff Copeland, who's been kind of like our producer for Creative through this whole time. Okay, uh, just through the the albums he's done with like Tim Hicks and Love and Theft, he just knows most of them. So he put together the first few groups, and then those groups have stuck. Those groups have canceled other other sessions to do our sessions. Wow. So anytime we have one coming up, we try to give them like a month notice. Yeah. 
but we'll get like McPherson and uh, Nick Buddha and uh, all these like the guy who's like I think Nick Buddha's on tour with Kenny Chesney right now our guitar players with Brett Eldridge and our keyboards with Garth Brooks and so we had these like session guys who still travel and do some yeah, stuff yeah. but oh Blair Masters <clears throat> yeah, we got, we yeah. Got Blair yeah, yeah. Blair's and, a great guy and so having them just donate well they're not donating because they're union so we have to yeah. pay them but those are the same guys though that we contact to do one of these if someone wanted to like hey I actually like my song and I want to go the step further how much is that going to cost but we could bulk it by putting into a group with other people who want to do that. So they're not worried. And plus, because, you know, everyone outside Nashville who wants to record here usually gets screwed over by people who are just malicious and are like, oh, how much is your budget? Oh, you want to record an album for 75000 I could do that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, not like really honing in. So we'll try to do some education around it, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, thank you so much for what you guys do. I appreciate I, it. I really do appreciate it. And I love... I love that you guys are doing all these different things. And it's such a unique perspective for the industry, you know, that, that I've never heard from anywhere else. Yeah. I appreciate so it. that's really cool. And that, um, let me ask you this. If, if somebody had an idea, I, I love the idea. I love the fact that you had an idea that is going to help veterans. Like you had a specific target in mind coming from someone who was not initially in the industry. Um, but you were able to, to find a way to, to work in the music business and help people at the same time and from a un, un, unique perspective by creating this nonprofit. And then also now that with the other stuff and the app and everything, and that just opens up, that just shows that anybody can do this. Anybody can be a part of the music industry. Yeah. Um, they just have to find out how, what best what is the best way that they can be a part of it? Yeah. How can they fit in? Um, for people that would want to be a part of the industry and they're like, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to go about doing this. Like how, how would you tell someone that wanted to, whether they start a nonprofit or just trying to find something specific that fits them that may not be the normal thing? Does that yeah. make sense? Like, how would you how would you encourage someone, or what kind of advice would you give people wanting to do that? I'm telling you, I I mean, I think you have to be here. Um, obviously, the app will allow you to be here in virtual form, but it doesn't matter if you do photography or if you do, uh, you know, for music industry, you're trying to get, you know, do album art or do whatever. Yeah, you need to go out. You need to be at the whiskey jams, be at the writers rounds. Like this is for one, it's some of the best music you'll ever hear. But for two, it's everyone, every songwriter is putting out their resume to the world and they're doing it every night of the week and it's free to go to. And so go by build by building those connections is when you say, Oh, wait, you do photography? My friend's actually going to cut an album right now and they need a photographer. Like until they see you, they're I forget what it is. There's something like our brains can only handle 125 relationships. And that means like you remember those people. Imagine how many people that you meet in the music industry just like throughout in a year, you're probably meeting 300, 500 people, which means you can't realistically remember them all. So unless I see you, I won't remember you. So by me being in rooms, I actually, this is a funny story. I always tell people being in a room with someone long enough to the point or as many times as you can until they think they know you. And this actually happened with me and Corey Crowder, who um, I was at some of his number one parties. I've been to multiple writers rounds. And then one day... I was at the listening room with my friend Donald, and he was like, oh, hey, Corey, have you ever met Richard? He's like, oh, yeah, we met. And he shook my hand, and I was, 
I was like, he thinks we met because I was in the room with him so many times. So it's another way of putting yourself in a place to where if they feel like they know you, you've met, they've connected, it's your conversations to what's next for you through their partnership. Because just like me, I'm always going to be a co-founder. To make it in the music industry, you always need someone to, to kind of back you up. I remember hearing Toby Keith talk at his... Um, at the Songwriters Hall of Fame, actually every single person, Brett James, everyone who's getting honored, the one consistency, they all had one person that believed in them. When they came to Nashville, they'd have one person who was like, I'm going to champion this person and run them around, and they did it, and that's how they got there. So find that person for you, that champion, but you can only do that if you're out and you're meeting people, and they need to know you exist, and even though you know them, doesn't mean they're going to remember you because they may have met 100 people in a week and they kind of forgot when they need photography the next time to go to you yeah. because they might have just met another photographer yeah. and they're just like, oh, I, yeah, I can't think of anybody else I need, so let's run with you. So just be out there. Very good. Thank you. Last thing, uh, I wanted to go back just for a second because I had a thought. With the We, Could, we Should Write Some Time app and you're connecting with people around the country or around the world, um, when you set up a write through the app, is it through Zoom? Do they are they able to? Are, can you through the app set up a write locally to be in person? Oh yeah, it's meant mostly for in person. But okay. if you're geolocating, you just tell them that you want to do virtual. Okay. Um, and we don't have in the future. We'll have, we'll try to partnership with Zoom or someone so they can even write in the phone, like with the Zoom. Uh, but for now, it's it was always meant to be in like. I just touched down in Nashville. I swipe on you, and I want to get in a physical room with yeah. you. Like that's I think the best way to write. But some people are like, "Hey, I'm geolocating here, and we could do virtual Zoom, Teams, whatever you want." And okay. so yeah, it's open to anything. But we would hope that you'd want to get in person. And if you are in Nashville, and you do connect, and you reach out to us and say we need a space, we'll lend you this writers' room that we're in right now. Very cool, dude. Thank you so much, Richard. This has been I awesome. Appreciate I appreciate it. No, again, thank you. again, thank you guys for all that you've done as a veteran and for protecting our country and our, our way of life and our people. And um, just very grateful. And thank you for what you're doing for veterans. So this is awesome. Thank you. It's Thanks for sharing day. my story and helping yeah. me get the word out. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.